When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk, another Buckeye football futures. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Stephen Means, who is our primary recruiting evaluator, follower, journalist that we have here on staff. Kind of a lot of these we're going to be pulling in in the offseason. We want to sort of walk you through the way this calendar works for Ohio State and for all the schools around the country as they're putting together the next class. We just came out of the second signing day last week the first day of the late period, however you want to look at that. And Ohio State's 22-22 class is wrapped up, so we're going to be talking a lot of 2023 and beyond that here in the coming weeks and months. Wanted to start off, though, uh, we're going to talk a lot about quarterback recruiting, actually, on this episode, kind of getting that started for 2023. We haven't really reset that since the whole Quinn Ewers episode came and went and played itself out here in Columbus, so it's time to start looking ahead into the future again of what Ohio State's going to do at that ultra important position. But before we do that, Stephen, bring us up to speed. We just came out of signing day. Ohio State is in a dead period. What is a dead period? And then kind of how does this calendar unfold as we look ahead to the coming weeks? Yeah, so there are four types of periods within recruiting cycles, and they they're all depending on the dates is which one you're going to be in right now they are in a dead period and that is defined it's called it's a dead period is that period of time when it's not permissible to make in-person recruiting contacts or evaluations or off member off the member institution campus or to permit official or unofficial visits by prospective student athletes to an institution's campus so basically what a dead period means is Players can't come here. Coaches can't go there. They can talk to each other on the phone, right? They can't with juniors. They can't do that. Have direct contact until uh, September first. But they can, you know, get contact on the phone. They can have Zoom calls and whatever. They can't be in the same room. Basically, is what a dead period is, which is at this point is fine because Ohio State's is in winter workouts and spring football is coming up soon. And so they're probably this is a good this dead period, which is. You know, from January 31st to February 28th will be a good t- time when you've got a brand new defensive coaching staff for them to be spending more time around their players, getting a chance to know them, even if they can't necessarily do on-field coaching yet. So that's what a dead period is. Then there's a quiet period where they can 
do in-person recruiting, but the player has to come to the campus. You, uh, coach still can't go out and recruit and see all that stuff, but you can have guys go there. And that's what's coming up next on March 1st. And so you'll probably see a lot of junior days around the country. Ohio State will have some kids in here between March 1st and April 20, April 14th. And then we go from that into an evaluation period. And that's when you see a lot of the camps and stuff like that. You get to see a lot of these kids in person and see what they're like. And then there's a contact period, which is kind of a free for all. Players can come to campus. Coaches can go to them. So those are the four different types of periods. And right now they're in a dead period where it's do not be in the same room as a recruit. I think that's an important reset for people to understand why we talk about certain things at certain times of the year. You know, it's not a coincidence that all the junior days happen at the same time. It's not a coincidence that all the camps happen at the same time. So just keep that in mind. If you're wondering why Ohio state isn't doing something at a of the year, it's because they can't sometimes and, uh, or, or why other teams are doing things it's because that's when the rules say that they can do it immediately in front of us. We're recording this on Monday afternoon and a, Relatively big announcement just happened. Um, Ohio State target Luke Montgomery announced he is going to make his commitment on February 17th, which is a week from Thursday. So kind of just tell us how big of a deal he is and what that means for Ohio State. As a recruit, he's a number 62 player in the country, a number six offensive tackle. He's listed at 6'5", 260. But the reason why he's 260 is because he just pretty much dedicated himself to playing only offensive line within the last month here. And he's still playing basketball right now. He's still doing a lot of different stuff. So that weight will come. So I'm not, you shouldn't even be worried about the fact that he's only 260 right now. He is the most important commit player in the 2023 recruiting class for Ohio state. Now that Sonny styles is technically a Buckeye now and will show up in June because he's already signed. And it's because one, this, the ceiling he has as an offensive lineman, I don't know if he'll 100% end up being an offensive tackle. I think he's got some versatility as well. We'll see. Let's see how he continues to grow over the next year or so. He can play inside. He can play outside. Maybe he even ends up a center. Um, he played everywhere on the offensive line at Finley High School this past year because he's their best player. And depending on what the game called for is where he was going to play. Usually he would tell the coaches that. Um, but the more important factor here is, I mean, we've discussed this at length a lot of different times, how the highly rated Ohio guy who is the bona fide leader of the class. Sonny Styles would have been that. He's now gone. Luke Montgomery probably fits that better than Sonny does from a personality standpoint. Sonny's the five-star, maybe can't miss prospect. Luke Montgomery's a pretty highly rated guy as well, but also he has relationships with every big-time prospect that's on Ohio State's recruiting board, and pretty much on any school's recruiting board, whether you're talking about Richard Young, you're talking about Caleb Downs or A.J. Harris and you know Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate and all down the line there. He has relationships with all those guys. So a commit like this can basically be the launching point for Ohio State trying to, you know, once again, fight for the number one recruiting class in the country. And so that's why it's so important to get this guy locked down. He's known for months that there is a spot here if he wants it. They joke with him all the time, especially after Josh Padilla, the interior offensive lineman, and Sonny Styles came along. They were just they joked with him every time. It's on like it's your turn when you come and when you come and when you come in. And originally the plan was to wait till the spring, wait till April, May, closer to then. But he's he's clearly ready to make a decision now, and which is a good thing for Ohio State. The quicker they get him in the class, the quicker they can start building around him. Well, but when you hear that timing that he's moving it up, do you think yeah. that is an especially good sign for Ohio State? It is. Yes. Yes. I think with Ohio, it's, I think with Ohio state, typically with these highly rated recruits, the earlier they want to commit, the better because of Ohio state typically builds its classes. I, I, 
can't think of many off the top of my head right now where a guy pushed it back and it was better for Ohio State that he did it. Because typically if they're pushing it back, that means they're allowing other teams to get in their head and talk to them and talk to them. And as we've seen a lot, we saw it a lot in the 2022 class, especially with the defensive line recruiting with guys like Chris McKellen. For a while there, it looked like he was going to be a Buckeye had he ever popped it, popped it. He never popped it. And eventually, you know, Florida came in and was able to nab that. Yeah, I'm not trying to get in Luke Montgomery's head here, but I, I do think there are times where a family or a recruit will see a program like Michigan, for instance, will come and do like a, I think you referenced a full court press in the text you sent out to our followers today. They'll come out and make a push. And if it doesn't change the way you're thinking, if at the end of that day, you're like, well, I'm still really heavily leaning this other way, then sometimes that helps you make your decision that sometimes that crystallizes it for you. And sometimes it's also, it's also, you're just sort of, um, (laughs) you're making it easier on everybody. You're like, Hey, let's, why are we dragging this out? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know, you're not like doing them a favor, but you're like, Hey, there's no reason for you to keep everybody keep pursuing me. Like now I know where I want to go. Like that, that helps me, that helps clarify my standing here. Um, Ohio state has four commitments in 2023 already tight end Ty Lockwood he was the first guy right yes he was uh offensive lineman Josh Padilla who you already mentioned Padilla is it Padilla or Padilla I think it's Padilla uh defensive tackle Will Smith Jr that was the most recent one and then safety Cedric Hawkins one of the questions I was going to ask you in relation to Montgomery I think you've already answered it was does OSU already have a captain Buckeye in this class and if not does it need one soon isn't that sort of the role is that why you think Luke Montgomery is the most important guy on the board right now yeah I think Ty Lockwood's done a good job being that he's the first guy and he's just as vocal a lot of times and trying to get guys come along but it is a little different when you're a top 60 recruit and it is a little different when you have the ceiling that he has and that's with all due respect to Ty Lockwood but he's also a tight end while Luke Montgomery plays a position that's going to be a significant need in this class and there's going to be a, a, a from what Ohio State wants a lot of offensive tackles in this class and so yeah there's just where there's what Ty Lockwood can do. It's it's almost like Bennett Christian was a pretty, pretty vocal recruiter in the 2022 class as a tight end. He's not CJ Hicks and Keon Grace doing it. And that's the comparison here. It, it just so happens that Bennett Christian and Ty Lockwood play the same position, but it is a little different when the guy's from your backyard and he's doing it. I understand why you're maybe hesitant to go all in on Montgomery being a tackle for sure, just because partially because he has so much room to grow. Also partially because of his athletic athletic profile, I think could Mm -hmm. maybe be an interesting fit interior as well. But if he's not a tackle and Josh Padilla is not a tackle, they got to get tackles in this class, right? Like you got to get a really good tackle in this class somewhere. So if it's not Montgomery, who else could it possibly be? I think the Caden Proctor recruitment is back open for business because Greg Strujawa is no longer here and Justin Fry has been able to go in there and reset it. So that's, that's the number five player in the top tackle in the class out of Iowa, the same high school that Xavier Wampa was from Southeast Polk. So that's something to keep an eye on. Obviously that will take time and some patience, but when we get closer to June and July, let's see if Justin Fry has been able to work his magic there. Samson Okunlola, the number 35 player, the number three tackle in the country received an offer back in the fall. That's a guy to keep an eye on. Jace, but, 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 uh, 
sorry, Chase Besantis out of New Jersey. He built a great relationship with Greg Sajawa. He's starting to build a great relationship with Justin Fry as well, the number 52 player, the number four offensive tackle in the country. And then Olas Alinen out of, out of Connecticut, the number 124 player, the number 12 offensive tackle. That's another guy to keep an eye on. And then Peyton Kirkland, the number 200 player, and the number 15 tackle. He li lives in Florida, but he's originally from, from Chicago. That's just the short list of Ohio State making it clear that they they've offered nine offensive tackles in this class already and three or four of them need to be Buckeyes by signing there if this was a good recruiting cycle for Ohio State so there's plenty of names of true tackles it's just because of you know what Luke Montgomery's athletic profile is and what he's been doing it's hard to pin him in with while the other guy it's more of a pencil with the other guys you can pin him them into being tackles offensive tackle is at a really interesting or really offensive line is at an mm -hmm. interesting inflection point right now at Ohio State. As you look at the roster as we go into 2022, right now there are, I should have counted this before, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, like 17 offensive linemen on the fall roster, I think, as I'm looking at this now. Yes, 17, which I, I think is around the number that they want. But you've only got two guys for sure coming off the books at the end of this season. And that's Matt Jones and Dewan Jones that are seniors now for this class. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Paris Johnson Jr., who we all assume will have a come out and have a great year and be a pretty strong NFL draft candidate this time next year. But it's, it is it is an assumption. It's not a guarantee. We've certainly seen guys who were as certain to go, or so we thought, Chris Olave, for instance, then decide to come back after that junior year. So we'll, we'll see. But so there may only be two guys coming off the books at the end of this year. They've got to have more than two guys in this class. If they are not 100% convinced that Montgomery is a tackle, maybe even if they are, they may need another tackle in this class to start balancing th some things out on that line. And I'm really intrigued by what is going to happen attrition wise, maybe in the middle here with this, as we get farther into the spring uh, offensive line is where we've seen some transfers uh, over the last couple of years out of Ohio State. And um, I don't want to speak about specific names about guys. I just assume when you've got 17 and so many of them are bunched up, when I said that they've got 17, that's only two that are seniors and three that are juniors. Everybody else is sophomore freshman. There may be some guys who start like trying to project out where they're going to stand two or three years down the line. And even if you came here as a developmental guy, you may not see that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, uh, they need some of those. It's, it's going to be a combination of. It's why you have to go highly rated for one in this 2023 class, because you need some guys from that class to be ready to go in 2024. They're going to have and they've they've had a good track record of having some highly rated offensive linemen be ready to play in year two, even if it, it's some growing pains along the way, like we saw with Harry Miller in 2020. But they're going to it's going to have to be a combination of some whatever if they get four or five guys in this class. They probably need two of those guys at bare minimum to be ready to go by year two. But then also they're going to have to hit on some of these lower rated, you know, uh, developmental guys that they took in 2020 and 2021. And that I don't that's not a combination for success that you that's not a position you want to be in at all. You want to be able to have a third year guy, even if he's a first year starter, be ready to go. But because of how bad the offensive line recruiting, and we've said this enough times, it was in that 2021 class. And even in the 2020 class, if you take Paris Johnson out, you're in this position now where you're hoping that somebody ends up being a hidden gym or a second year offensive lineman is ready to go. And while they've had that good track record, that's not, that's not the norm. Yeah. I think you can, 
expect a developmental guy to um, work out over time. I think you can expect a highly ranked guy to maybe be ready in his second year. The developmental guys aren't ready in their second year. And so if all you've got is a bunch of developmental guys, that's where you're running into a problem. So, yeah, I think that it's there are so many positive things or at least like there's positive momentum for Ohio State on the offensive line. I just don't know what it means for 2022, 2023 and putting um, or especially 2023, putting the right line out there that helps them maximize what they think they can do. That sets the table. Let's come back from the break and talk about quarterbacks here on Buckeye Talk. Ohio State is going to take a quarterback in the 2023 class. Really, Ohio State takes a quarterback in every class. And kind of where I wanted to start this conversation, Stephen, is does Ohio State's quarterback recruiting philosophy, before we're talking maybe about specific name, but does that recruiting philosophy mean that position is always a 10 on the 1 to 10 scale of importance for recruiting class? And I was going to, because I was going to ask you, like, well, how important is getting a good quarterback in the 2023 class for Ohio State. And then I looked at the roster and it's like, well, you've got CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord in the sophomore class. You've got Devin Brown coming in in the freshman class. Well, CJ Stroud is potentially, if he comes out and has another great year off to the NFL, so you're on to two scholarship quarterbacks and then you have a competition and Kyle McCord may be the one who wins that competition, but if he doesn't, he may not stick around. So 2023 might be your number two quarterback. And they, they've kind of left themselves not a lot of room, not a lot of wiggle room. So is as long as this keeps going on, do you have to, if you're assigning a one to 10 grade, isn't quarterback like always a 10 of how much you have to hit it? Yes. If you're going to recruit quarterbacks like this and you have to go get a top 100 guy every single year, which I mean, we've had the argument of whether that's the good plan or not, but that's what they're doing. So that's how we're going to approach this situation. There was a world where they could have not done that this year when you know, Quinn Ewers was still showing up now instead of six months ago. And you were in a situation where the, the the situation you just described was just happening a year earlier. So it was fine if you just like, all right, we can take our time. We don't have to go get the five star top 100 kid in 2023. And then we come back with Jaden Davis in 2024 or maybe not even Jaden Davis, but like somebody else, Adrian Posey or so, Posey or somebody else. Well, Quinn changed those plans. And so now you've not only had to go get another 2022 guy, and but it also changed the way you have to recruit in 2023. And Ryan Day got asked that before the season, and he basically said, yeah, yeah, now we got to go get a guy. And he'll, he'll preface all of that with, well, it's year to year, which is like his favorite thing to say when you ask him about quarterbacks. But yes, this is the world they have to live in now. Now, with that being said, the approach for how they find it doesn't have to change. But the fact of what the end product has to be has to change. And that's what I think makes this the most intriguing quarterback cycle that we've had under Ryan day, because they haven't had a normal Kyle McCord's the only normal quarterback recruiting situation they've had since he took over as head coach. He committed 18 months before signing day, shut it down and then signed on signing day. And now he's here. Everybody else has been a late blooming prospect or, Oh, now we have to go get somebody. And the thing we always have to mention when we're having these conversations is there's Increasing reason to believe that there will always be at least one Caleb Williams, Justin Fields, uh, high level transfer guy out there on the market. Now, there won't be an abundance of them, I don't think, every year, but it seems like there's always going to be one. Something happens out there, somebody pops loose, and there's a very small cluster of schools who are really in contention to potentially land those guys. So, 
unless it's a Spencer Rattler. When you have a Spencer Rattler and you kind of fail out of somewhere, for lack of a better word, then that op- opens up the options. But that's not who Ohio State would necessarily be going after. So uh, that's just always the thing to keep in the back of your mind. But I think going the forward facing part of it, Ohio State is always going to be looking high end in really every class. It's not going to be what Doug has talked about before, which I think is there's merit to that strategy of big time guy second tier guy, big time guy, second tier guy and alternate him. But that's not really what Ohio State has put itself in a position to afford to do, even if you think that philosophy has merit. So looking down the list of who Ohio State has offered for 2023, our friends at 247 Sports in their composite rankings, they have Ohio State listed as offering six guys. Yep. And three of those guys have already committed to other schools. Malachi Nelson, a California guy going to USC. Uh, Eli Holstein, a Louisiana guy going to Texas A&M, Jackson Arnold, another Texas guy going to Oklahoma. So again, again, man, we're talking about a small cluster of schools. Uh, it's just <laughs> you get used to hearing those names when we talk about quarterbacks from here to infinity, probably. So that leaves three other guys kind of give us the rundown. First of all, before we go to that, do you still think Ohio State is like very actively involved in any of those three things, like trying to pry one of those guys away as like a, a primary target still for this class? Not Nelson. He was an Oklahoma commit who went and followed Lincoln Riley, which right. everybody knew that was going to happen. Not Eli Holstein either. Jackson Arnold, yes. Uh, they're going to continue to heavily recruit Jackson Arnold, even though he's committed to Oklahoma. And I think it's because, well, Ohio State's a quarterback school and Oklahoma's not a quarterback school anymore because Lincoln Riley's now living in La La Land. So that, yeah, I'll say that one. Of, of the three commits, that's the only one where it's like, all right, if he it's realistic to think that maybe he ends up a Buckeye anyway. So yes, but to to get into the list of the uncommitted guys, for what it's worth, Malachi Nelson and Jackson Arnold are the only two who have not been to Ohio State yet. And Nelson's not going to come to Ohio State because of the reasons we just named. Let's see if Mal if Jackson Arnold gets here in March or if he gets here for a camp this summer. Everybody else has at least camped on this list. Dante Moore, the number seven player, the number three quarterback in this class, five-star recruit living in Detroit, Michigan, but he is initially from Cleveland, Ohio. So Ohio connection, pay attention to that one. Let's, I mean, Michigan's kind of a mess right now, but let's see if that becomes another situation where it's Ohio versus Michigan and Michigan state to try to keep that kid in the Midwest. Nico Iamaliva, his full name is Nicholas, but he goes by Nico. He camped during the summer, the number 16 player, the number four quarterback. He was not a five-star when he camped last summer. He is, I believe, the cousin of DJ Uyunglele, um, but he was not a five-star at the time. He has since earned that, that status out of California. Um, and then Dylan Lonegan, number 85 player and the number nine quarterback, a four-star recruit, where with that one, it's interesting because there he wants to play baseball. and. Ohio, I mean, they didn't let Justin Fields play baseball here. So like, I, we'll see if that if that's a deal breaker for him and he's picking a school as whether or not they let him play baseball. I know a lot of Southern schools let their quarterbacks do it. Jamison Winston did it when he was at Florida State. And we've seen other people do it in the past. I, I know you wrote a story about Justin Fields having the short conversation about doing it in 2020 before COVID hit, but even that probably wouldn't have gone too far. Yeah, I, it, I, I also think that if people remember – uh, Fields got hurt late that season, yeah. and I think that contributed. If Justin Fields had ended his sophomore year at Ohio State completely healthy, I wonder if he might have dabbled with it. Because if if he didn't have the injury rehab that he had to do to get back to full speed, but you're right. Then it it as it turned out, it would have been a short term thing anyway. Because then 
um, you know, COVID happens and it threw everything off, but, but baseball starts now. I mean, baseball mm-hmm. is, is going on. So like a player could uh, come out of the season and be, you know, take, get, get some baseball under his, his feet and play in January, February without it really interrupting too much into the spring. But um, it is a little bit uncommon I think it would be interesting. I wonder if the philosophy on this would change if, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I was going to say maybe the philosophy would change if, if Ohio had a different lower level philosophy towards football. Like if guys could play mm. football year round more here, would that be, leave someone like Ryan? But, but really, I mean, you're, you're Justin Fields. You're coming from the South. All these guys are coming from the South where they do play football year round or have that option. So I don't know. I, I think for the right guy, they would do it. The other thing to remember about Fields is really getting off a tangent. But with Fields, Fields' heart was not in baseball. Mm-hmm. If Justin Fields' heart had been in baseball, he would be a professional baseball player right now because he was that good. Yeah. And if he had committed himself fully to that, that's where he would be. If And I think if, he, if his heart were that in it, he might have fought harder to play at Ohio State. Here, it was more a thing where like, well, my parents really love baseball. And I know I'm good at it and I have fun hanging around with guys and taking cuts in the cage. So maybe I'll try it. So it'd be interesting if, if, if someone like Lonergan were such a legitimate prospect and had it as such a big part of his spirit or whatever that he wanted to play baseball. I don't know. Maybe that would be it. it, I think it's all about like, how much do you want it? So I'm, I'm putting, trying to put myself in Ryan Day's head as to how, if, because you are giving something up, you are having, you would have to yield time and exposure to injury, whatever. But you're, but if it meant that much to somebody, maybe I would consider it if I were Ryan Day. For what it's worth, Ohio State has let some of its players do some other sports in the offseason. Like lacrosse. I know Kendall Sheffield did indoor track when he was here. I just, at that position, when your head coach is a quarterback's coach, and, I mean, we're coming off last week where, you know, Devin Brown's telling us they get a big old binder and that's just one of like the three of them they get. And because of how serious they take that position, I am, and it's not completely the same muscles and like workout plans that you need to be on to be successful. I know that there's a lot of similarities, especially for a guy like Fields where, because he played shortstop throwing on the run and all, but it's not completely the same. I am. That's why I would be skeptical of it. It's more because their head coach is a quarterback's coach by trade. And I don't know if he wants his quarterbacks doing anything other than learning how to play quarterback here, but it is part of well, his, his recruitment right now. Yeah. And that, that also makes me wonder, like, cause I think what I was saying before makes sense. Like if a guy is like, man, I just, I just, I know I'm great at football. I want to come help Ohio state win, but I love baseball. It's like something that's just, it's in me and I really want to do both. Then as much as I would say, well, maybe that would make you change your philosophy if you believed in the quarterback enough. I wonder if someone saying that is not what Ryan Day wants to hear from a potential quarterback. I think he right. may want to hear, I'm re- I'm coming to you because the only goal I see in my life is going to the NFL. That's not knocking the other guy, but it, it, it seems more like what maybe Ryan Day would want to hear. I'm probably putting words in his mouth. I'm trying to glean things from the other conversations we've had from him, but that seems more like maybe the philosophy he's trying to build this room around. And you'd almost have to have that philosophy again if we're rec- if Ohio State's recruiting a top mm-hmm. 50 guy every year to come in and play that position. Yeah, you can't be – got to be kind of all in because if you fall behind a little bit, well, then you're probably not going to play here because there's a guy coming before you and there's a guy coming after you. 
All right, so Lonergan's the lowest-ranked guy, actually, of those three, so let's talk about the other two. Um, Dante Moore, you got to see him at camp last year, right? And did you get a chance to, to talk to him and interact with him a little bit? No, no, not that day. I didn't, I didn't okay. get an opportunity to see it. But sick, he, he has the build, a similar build that what Ohio State wants. The six foot, the, he's 6'2", 195 right now, which is kind of perfect in the prospect because they want that 6'2", to 6'4", you know, get you up to 210, 215, depending on what your athleticism size is. I think he – kind of has the full pack. He's a better runner than the rest of the group, but he is same concept. I want to throw the ball. I don't want to be running around and doing all that stuff. So people, if he were to come here and end up being the starting quarterback, people would be having the same problems with him that they have with CJ Stroud. It's like, why doesn't he run the ball? But he does have a strong arm. Um, but yeah, I think right. He's probably the full package. And then to get into Nico a little bit, he's interesting because he's a tall, lanky kid. He's not as, you know, He's 6'5", 195 pounds. And I think that would be, without a doubt, the tallest quarterback Day's had here, whether from a starting standpoint or even the guys behind him. Um, and so that's interesting. He's, he has a strong arm for a guy who is that long and lanky. He actually looks more like a basketball player than he does a football player, at least from the last time I saw him, which was you know, six months ago now. He probably maybe looks a little bit different here now. But I do think there is some upside there with that one just because he is a little bit of a bigger quarterback than what Ohio State is used to seeing here. So he's like a tall cj stroud he is no um trevor lawrence ish but i don't know without like the running ability yeah that's that's actually a build that makes sense because i mean we've seen trevor lawrence in person he's tall he's lanky he just looks all types of frail but then you get him on a football yes and then you get him on a football field and, and he's got hair too so there you go trevor lawrence I want to talk about more again, because since he's from Detroit, but he's got the Cleveland background, I mean, there's a natural battleground here, right, between right. Ohio State and Michigan. How much of that battleground is at the forefront of his recruitment right now? And I know that, yes, uh, Michigan's been through some things in the last week or so, but Harbaugh is still going to be there. Josh Gaddis was probably going to be leaving regardless in the in the short term, like by next year. He was already in the mix for, as, we, as Doug and I talked about for Monday's pod, already in the mix for head coaching jobs and stuff. He was not going to be sticking around Michigan long term anyway. So I don't know how much that would necessarily affect a, re a recruiting battle like this. Not when the head coach is still quarterback coach, I think. Yeah. Now, granted, like Harbaugh's probably got some, you know, some fences in a little bit because of how the last couple of weeks go, but that's a different conversation. Dante Moore's list is Big Ten footprint, Midwest footprint. It's it's Michigan State, it's Ohio State, it's Michigan, it's Penn State, it's Notre Dame. It's you know, it's not like you're fighting off a bunch of SEC and West Coast schools to get him, or the schools that we would consider the quarterback schools to get him. It's clear he wants to stay in this area, which helps Ohio State. But at the same time, as we talked about in the past, as these Midwest Big Ten schools, these programs start to climb up and get better and better and better, that still makes it harder. Is this a can Marcus Freeman? pull off his first, you know, five-star quarterback in Dante Moore. Can Penn State follow up Drew Aller with this kid? Uh, that, that stuff is still on the table at this point. So it's a positive for Ohio State that they don't have to fight the South and the West for him, but it's a negative because the schools they do have to fight are, are getting better and better every single year. Is I am Aleva the one that you think is the front runner from Ohio State's point of Ooh. view right now? Like if you had to guess, which do they even have that hierarchy right now? Yeah, I don't. I don't even think there's a hierarchy right now. I, I'm tempted to say Jackson Arnold just because you decided that you didn't want to get out the race, even though he is committed. And to put that minutes when there are other guys on the table, and you still want to put that many resources into a guy who literally 
you know, just committed like a, a week and a half ago. It's not like he committed, you know, six months ago and he's firm in that Oklahoma committed. So he committed to the Oklahoma that didn't have Lincoln Riley and Ohio State still decided they're going to keep fighting in that battle. So I'm tempted to say him. But at the same time, I don't think there is a hierarchy right now. It's too early. Um, you want to see guys throw again. Maybe somebody pops up this summer and kind of comes on because we're still kind of seeing some of the remnants of like COVID where a lot of guys haven't been seen yet. And we're going to see a lot more guys this summer. And so it's no hierarchy. It's just here are the list of names that they're in right now. And nobody's number. There's no one, two, three or four. It's just one A, one B, one C, one B, one D and on down the list. And let's see in June who kind of rises to the top here. So as you say, those are the six guys known offers that they have out. By the way, I looked through the list. There are like no Ohio quarterbacks in the top no. 600 nationally. This is not a year of like a Drew Allar or a Joe Burrow or somebody else out there that's like in that mid-range that Ohio State might try to pick up. It doesn't look like, at least not right now, somebody's going to have to climb. So are there any other possible targets that we still need to talk about? And obviously the one that we need to talk about in some way is probably Arch Manning, the number one yeah, prospect in the entire 2023 class. So does Ohio State get back in on him now that the Ewers thing has passed? Is that not a direction it would want to go for maybe Ewers related reasons? Like what, how do you see that playing out? They're going to take their shot. And that's, I think, the safest and most responsible way to take it. Do I think Arch Manning is coming north to play football or going anywhere other than the SEC to play football? No, I don't think that. But Ohio State being the school that it is, would they be idiots to not take their shot? 100%. You got to see and see what the field, what the water is. So during that contact period, they did stop in Louisiana and go see him play basketball. And I'm and Corey Dennis and Ryan Day will do their part in trying to get him up here for a visit. Will it work? I don't think so. But yeah, that is the main question that will be on the table at least for the next three months is how realistic is it that Ohio State can get in the battle and that's not it's not even about can they win the battle can they get into the battle and that these next couple of months here will decide whether or not in May when we're doing this again if I'm just on here going don't even think about the name Arch Manning because it's not happening or if I can say hmm some things might be clicking there I mean in some ways that would be a bigger recruiting coup than Quinn Ewers to me because with Ewers he had already picked Texas that was his school he backed out of that was then casting about for like runner-up to take like mm -hmm. his his second option the, the next best option whereas with I mean there's no more synonymous name with SEC quarterback than Manning whether you're talking Ole Miss, whether you're talking Tennessee, he's from New Orleans. You've got LSU right there, and you've got now a new coach at LSU who's probably trying to make inroads there. All the all those battles between Manning and Florida, you've got just all these connections that would seem, if you could pull the most SEC quarterback of all time out of the SEC, that would be, that would be a coup. That would like make you, all these things that we talk about with, Ryan Day and Corey Dennis and his emergence as someone trying to help with these relationships, like all those things that we talk about would be catapulted into another level. If you were to pull someone like Arch Manning up to Ohio state, which is why I think it's not going to happen. I don't even know what it would look like and what that would mean for the program. Cause you're right. Quinn Ewers was just a really good quarterback who happened to be from Texas. And it never seemed unrealistic that it could happen. Like this is just, 
that last name, man, that last name makes this. Because it, it, if it was, if he, if his name was Art Stewart, we'd be sitting here discussing like, can Ohio State pull him in? And he'd probably have already visited because, I mean, look at what CJ Stroud's done. Look at what Justin Fields has done. Look at what Dwayne Haskins has done. It would make zero sense for a kid like that to not at least give Ohio State a fair share. But that last name, that's, that's, that just makes this impossible. It, yeah, it would it would seem very, very difficult also, but also because of the way the 2023 dynamic worked for Ohio State, mm-hmm. the you know, you, they weren't in on him the way probably some of the other suitors were on him because they got Quinn Ewers, who was going to be a 2023 quarterback. I also wonder, and I don't know if you would have a read on this because it's also fresh, but like the way the Quinn Ewers thing played out where you are recruiting someone who is already a national star as much as they are a potentially great quarterback someday, which is not true of, it was a little bit true of Justin Fields, I guess, but he was already, he's also a transfer. It's a, it's a different situation. This Quinn Ewers was already a national name in a lot of ways. By the time he was like a junior in high school and Guys like Quinn, you or guys, I'm sorry, guys like CJ Stroud, guys like Tom McCord, guys like Devin Brown. That wasn't true of them. They're known in recruiting circles, but they're, they hadn't really permeated beyond that. And I wonder if that the way things played out with yours, do you think it will give Ohio State any pause about going after those guys in the future or should it? No and no to both of those. I think those are two very specific and separate questions. Uh, I don't think it will. I do think. Your situation is just a learning experience because he's not going to be the last person that is a media darling, even if he doesn't like to talk about anything but hunting. There's going to always be that you know prospect on the board every couple of years here, and you can't not go for that because what might happen, you know, whether it messes up your room or because of NIL or whatever else is on the table. So, no, I don't think it changes their approach. I just think they learned from it a little bit. Um, but also some of that you couldn't control. Like you can't tell that kid he shouldn't come here early. So they, they were, I don't want to cape for Ohio State at all, but because they did lose him, but that it was almost a lose-lose situation there for Ohio State. Um, the second part of your question, should they back off? No, you're still, I mean, you got to go, if you're going to do this, if you're going to say you're going to go after the best possible guy in every recruiting class, then you have to go for the best possible guy in every recruiting class. You can't switch up and go for the second best guy. Now, just because the top guy is flirting with a perfect rating and everybody's falling in love with him before he's even played, taking a snap of college football. No. So I don't think they're going to stop and I don't think they should stop. They've clearly been married to this approach. So now you have to live with it. And until it doesn't work out, it hasn't. That's the thing here. This approach actually hasn't burned them yet. And so when it burns them, let's see if they re- they reassess how they approach this thing. But so far, they said they want a top 100 guy in every recruiting class, even if they have to go in late to find them. And no one, they have not found a situation yet where every single top 100 guy on the board has told them no. I think you're right. I think that the Ewers situation also was more a timeline problem and that changed on them. Like the, the ground shifted under their feet. And I think, so if anything, maybe in the future you try now that everything was happening in these first six months of NIL was happening for the first time, Mm -hmm. the name, image, and likeness stuff. So now I think if anything, it might change the dialogue that happens during the recruiting process to make sure everybody is still on the same timeline ahead of time and looking looking forward to how things might unfold and you can maybe head off some of those potential problems before they happen anything else you want to talk about on the quarterback side anybody any other possible targets that we need to bring up 
Not right now. I, I think it'll be, int- I'm very excited to, to see these camps this summer and see if anybody can impress right now. Um, Cause, but right now it's so fresh. I, there's a lot, this is a, I would say this is a pretty big quarterback year. There are nine top 100 guys and then it, there's 12 in the top 200, which I mean, they do a elite 11 and you've got 12 in the top 200. Does anybody else get an offer from Ohio state down the line here? That's I think the most interesting thing right now is because they, they, you're seeing at other positions, they're starting to cast their net a little bit wider this year. So they don't end up in situations where it's like, it's all or nothing with these type of guys. Does Ryan, Dan, Corey, Dennis feel like they need to cast their net a little bit wider here. And maybe instead of six guys, by the time we get to April, they've offered maybe eight, nine or 10. And what is the like realistic timeline for Ohio state to eventually have a commitment? Do you think for this class? I wouldn't be shocked if it, we get to July and they still don't have a commitment to be honest with you, just because they are very much taking their time and being a little bit more peculiar and specific in what they're looking for here. And because they can do that because they're still in a situation here where they could realistically have Kyle McCord be the starter in 2023, if he wins the job and he pulls it to Wayne Haskins and then Devin Brown takes over in 2024. But yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if it's July, they still don't have a quarterback or we get to August and they still don't have a quarterback, which is to the point of what we were talking about in the first segment about Luke Montgomery, which is why he's that much more important because typically you want your quarterback to be the guy who's leading your class and helping to build it. But when you're taking this much of a patient approach to finding that quarterback. Well, the other guys got to be able to step up and take that place. And guys like Luke Montgomery can do that. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Ohio state recruiting from a, a different angle here on Buckeye talk. So Ohio state on Monday released its new field design for Ohio stadium And if people saw the – Doug and I talked about this also on Monday's podcast, so go back and listen to that. If people saw the potential – the submissions that came in from fans, I thought there were some really great creative ones, and they would have been – there was no chance I thought they were going to use some of them for Ohio Stadium. Uh, And I don't don't like, like, the all-scarlet field as, like, a permanent thing. Or um, even the thing that I think is kind of fun, like – the one, the giant Brutus, like waving a flag or whatever, like that's not what you want. I don't think for Ohio stadium, but I I thought they might do, they might do something a little bit more fun, let their hair down a little bit. And instead they just basically went with the exact same field. They already had Buckeye leaves, replacing the kickoff X's Uh, some fonts changed, some trim changed, but it's, it's a re it's a refurbishing. It's a revamping. It is not a revolution. It, it's the same field you guys are used to, just some things tweaked here and there, right? So my question to you, Stephen, was as it relates to recruiting, because a lot of these things, these this branding, yes, some of it is for the fans and, and the game day experience, but some of these things are for the, the front-facing things that you're showing to the people you're trying to attract to come into a program. So not just I'm not just talking about the field itself, but like, you know, different programs emphasize different bells and whistles to try to make their mark in recruiting. What do you feel? Do you feel like Ohio State, much like with the field that it's putting out there next this starting this fall, takes. I mean, do they kind of let the football speak for itself and take a more understated route or do you feel like. Um, they are willing to take some chances and get uh, let their hair down a little bit, as I said. I mean, to first to discuss the field, I thought 
any of the stuff that had like the watermarks on it would have been awesome just because they did it with the basketball court. So why not do it with the football field? Like they had the one with the Buckeye leaves as a watercolor. That'd have been awesome. Yeah. Um, or like the state of Ohio within the block. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it's simple, but it's kind of cool to look at once you realize it's there. I do think there is an element of, to Ohio state that does kind of speak for itself. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm obviously I'm working on a story on Devin Brown um, right now. That'll be out this week. Um, and one of the things I was talking about with his father, Andrew, is, you know, when he when they were going to all these different schools like Ole Miss, uh, they went to a couple other SEC schools and then they came to Ohio State and they were like, ah, OK, this is what a game day environment feels like. This is what it's supposed to feel like. The fans, the pregame festivities. And then obviously what CJ did that day during the Michigan State game in the first half probably is a cherry on top. But that's what it felt like. And I do think some of the traditional stuff helps with that because you, know, you got the school session, you got the walk from the hotel to school session into the field. You've got Ohio State's like home field advantage isn't the most dominant in college football, but that's fine. It does its job, especially when they're playing big games like the night game against Penn State or when they got a top 10 opponent coming into play. It's, it's fine. But I do think Ohio State's good all the time. The fans love it. And there's a lot going on that it they don't necessarily need to do anything extra. Um, as much as we're complaining about the field right now and how it could have been cooler, it's not like Boise State is putting together top 10 right. recruiting classes right now. I mean, if you look at all these other powers in college football, they don't have great fields. They just have great environments. The coolest thing about Clemson is they run and touch the rock before they run down to the field. So uh, uh, it's fine. Uh, it's not costing them recruits and it's not really gaining them the recruits. I just think it's an it's an interesting environment to be in, but it's why it's also most important that Ohio State's biggest recruiting weekends are not just like some random game against Akron. They're the biggest games when they know every, every little bell and whistle they do have is going to be working at maximum capacity. Yeah, and believe me, if they had come out and said on Monday, oh, we're going to the all-scarlet field, I would have been the first one writing something yeah. being like, what are you doing? This is <laughs> insane. Well, I probably wouldn't have been the first one. I think I would, many people would have written that. Uh, maybe some of the people on our staff would have been the first ones. You would have heard their heads explode. Although Doug was, uh, to, 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 to give him credit, was one of the, if you listen to Monday's pod, was like, hey, why not just do that once in a while? Why not just throw a red field out there once in a while? I don't know the logistics of that. But I think it gets back to a point of Ohio State, I think, should and does position itself as tradition being the thing out in front. You know, like tradition is, um, you know, we football speaks for itself. You come here and it's about football. It's about winning football. It's about uh, dominant football. And you don't want anything in the surroundings to detract from the football. And you also, I think, don't want people thinking, um, well, they have to do all these flashy things so that we don't pay attention to what's going on on the field. Mm -hmm. Now, that wasn't necessarily the case at some of those schools you're talking about. Like I brought up Oregon and it's dumb uniforms and stuff. I think my opinion, um, you mentioned the Boise state field, which is, I think works for them. It's unique. It brings you in attention, whatever. I also don't think it's necessarily all that garish. It's, they, I thought they've done an okay job. If you're going to do something like that, do it the way they did it. But I feel like at Ohio State, even though I feel like they could have been a little bit more progressive in what they ultimately decided to do with the field, I think it's it, – I understand the point that is like the underlying concept here, which is uh, tradition 
And I, I think it's more, I think tradition is a better term than like conservative in this case, like, or boring. I think it's more like, you know what, we, we play real football here. So we're going to put a real football design out. And if somebody else has to come up with something flashier and fancier and more futuristic to try to draw attention away from our dominant football success, go ahead and let them do it. So I suppose, I think at the end of the day, that's the message I take from what Ohio State's trying to put out there. And I think it does, it, 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 what they do in this case, I think, does speak a little bit for the broader direction of the program. And I think that does bleed into recruiting and things like that. But that they're saying, you know, we, our, our foundation is what it is and we're proud of it. And that's what we're going to lead with. When you're always good, if it ain't broke, don't fix it always works. Because even with like the Oregon uniforms and the Boise State field, you didn't really start noticing that stuff until they they were having a moment. Right. When they were having like when Boise State did the, the Statue of Liberty play and all of a sudden they were good. And it's like, oh, and they have this blue field when Oregon all of a sudden is playing a national championship. And it's like, oh, and, you know, the founder of Nike went there. So they get all the cool jerseys. And that was also at the time when everybody was wearing alternate jerseys all the time. But when that moment walks away and then you're just left with some jerseys or a field, well, then what do you have? So, yeah, it's fine. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I do at the same time agree that they could have gone a little bit, you know, a little bit extra there because come on, man. What was the point of making all those fans, you know, submit all those when you knew what you already were going to well, do? It depends on what audience you are appealing to, because there is a certain amount of the audience that you put those designs out there. With like, I think what I thought was really fun was the one that like, it's a block O and then like, and like Brutus is like coming out of the block O. I was like, okay, that's kind of, I think that could be kind of fun. Like, uh, but I also am not an Ohio State fan. I didn't grow up yeah. an Ohio State fan and I don't, I'm not as ensconced in the tradition as other people are who've lived in Ohio their whole lives and gone to Ohio Stadium since they were three or whatever. So I, I understand that, but I think there is a certain segment who saw some of those designs and was like, oh, this would be really fun if they did some of this stuff. And then there's another segment that was like, oh, good Lord, no. Like, you can't possibly be thinking about doing X or Y or Z or whatever. So it depends on what audience you're shooting for. But from a recruiting standpoint, am I wrong? Like, Ohio State, I feel like this attitude probably crosses over to um, the the way Mark Pantone and Ryan Day set things up to go out and find the next – Buckeyes to some extent, right? Like it's not about, I feel like this is a, a program that gets to sell substance over flash. There aren't a lot of um, like public fancy things that you mean, you, you mean Ohio Ryan day is not going to be dancing behind you as a camera twirls around. Oh my you God. You're in New well, Jersey? I'm glad you brought that up. I had not been thinking about that. But that's an example. If people don't know who we're talking about, what we're talking about and who we're talking about, there have now been multiple videos of Brian Kelly, now the coach at LSU, who who magically shifted from sounding a lot like me to sounding a lot like uh, Tim McGraw overnight or whoever, um, doing these just cringeworthy dancing things with these recruits. One of whom now did end up coming to LSU, right? And with the band. So, yeah. So, uh, yes, I, I think that's a very good example, Stephen. That's a very good example to kind of round up, get get me back around to where I started this uh, conversation slash um, brain rant that I'm on, which is Ohio State doesn't 
like debase itself in the name of chasing uh, attention, chasing prospects, right? Like uh, you don't, you will never see Ryan Day do something that it's terrible. It's it's awful. Like people go, uh, who thinks that that who watched that who who watches that and says, oh, that looks like a co- coach that I'm confident to go play for. Like that look, it's just such. It is pandering. It is um, insulting. I think. Um, and I know you're just goofing off and having fun, I guess, with the kid. But as I said, we've already seen that ain't what going to land you the kid. We've already seen it not work. Relationships, man. In all honesty, if Brian Kelly was that type of personality, we wouldn't be complaining about it because and that's listen, why it seems fake. Yes. Yeah. Like coaches. That's why it's they're, yeah. They're all old coaches and they're trying to convince teenagers to come play football for them. So there are times when you have to do some of these cool things where you kind of look like the old guy. Ryan Day has done some of those. I remember when they were recruiting the 2020 class. Um, I think it was Darion Henry Young, Jaheim Thomas, who is now at Cincinnati playing linebacker and Darion Henry, Henry Young obviously is transferred to Kentucky and somebody else from that Cincinnati Prince. It might have been Paris in that same photo. And they, they took a photo of Ryan Day. They were all in the black jerseys, and it looked like an album cover, which is cool. It, it was cool, though, but it didn't. Nothing about the photo made you go, oh, Ryan Day's being disingenuous there. Or there will be times when, like, you know, a running back will recruit, will take a photo with a guy who's currently on the team and stuff like that or with other assistant coaches. This is normal stuff. It's just it's got to come off and feel like that's who you are as a person. And that was the problem with the LSU thing and why that stuff, while it's cool and it looks great on social media, it's not going to land. As you said, it's not going to land you the kid. What's going to land you the kid is the relationship and them genuinely believing like they can win for you and get to the NFL, which is why like, you know, as cool as it is that Brian Hartline still dresses like he's a 22 year old NFL player, that's not why they're coming to play for him. They're coming to play for him because he got to the NFL from Ohio State and had a pretty good career. I want to hear I want to hear from texters who have seen if there are any who have seen the Brian Kelly thing we're talking about. It's awful. And don't think it's just just catastrophically bad. It just just catastrophically bad. Like wouldn't you rough. what would you think if you saw and I know there's some cultural things here because he's down because in both of the in the videos I've seen, it's all been like a some kind of a country song, right? Uh yeah. Which actually I'll go off on some other tangent sometimes about how it's not <laughs> actually country music, how modern country music is not country music. And it's but so that maybe maybe that's partially my bias here. But um just I I, I can't imagine Ohio State doing it. And so on one hand, while my first reaction to the field design was like, oh, this is like a a very traditional place, really doubling down on tradition. I think the opposite, and again, there are cultural differences, but I think the opposite is a bigger problem. I think that's where you would want Ohio State, have, because I think at the end of the day, I think prospects can believe in, Ohio State and Ryan Day as being genuine people. And they that may not be true of other institutions and other coaches. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to sum it up. That's how I'm going to wrap that up. That's going to end this episode of Buckeye Football Futures. I'm going to be off going into next week. I think Doug and Steven will be maybe talking some basketball next Tuesday. Yep. Keep your ears open for that. They will let you know the schedule. Uh, but until then, I'm Nathan Baird. 
he was Stephen Means. That was Buckeye Talk.